There are approximately 12,700 nuclear weapons in the world right now, says Professor Rebecca Davis Gibson. Hello and welcome to Reactive's Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evikiori and this week the focus is on the growing danger posed by the proliferation of nuclear weapons. Iran has attracted particular attention as a recent UN investigation has revealed that the country has high percentages of uranium that could be used in nuclear weapons. Additionally, in late February, Russian President Vladimir Putin declared that his country would not hesitate to deploy nuclear weapons to gain an advantage in the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With these developments, it's clear that the threat posed by nuclear arms remains both significant and ongoing. Inspectors from the United Nations nuclear watchdog found uranium particles enriched up to 83.7 in Iran's underground Frodo nuclear site. The International Atomic Energy Agency is having discussions with Iran, trying to clarify the matter. And our world is feeling the threat from nuclear weapons rising, especially after Vladimir Putin's speech on February 21st, when he proceeded with another reminder of the nuclear power of his country and the intention to use it in case Russia loses the war in Ukraine. But who is controlling the majority of nuclear weapons worldwide? Only nine nations possess these weapons, these 12,700 nuclear weapons, with the U.S. and Russia possessing 90% of them. Rebecca Davis Gibson is a professor of international relations at the University of Southern Maine and researcher focusing on nuclear weapons treaties related to proliferation, non-proliferation and arms control. The other countries include the U.K., France, China, and those, those three countries along with the U.S. and Russia are the so-called weapon states uh, are legal nuclear weapon states within the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons. That's the kind of big treaty that governs a lot of global uh, nuclear non-proliferation efforts, so efforts to stop the spread of nuclear weapons. And when that treaty was written in the 60s, those were the five states that had tested nuclear weapons. So they were essentially kind of grandfathered in as nuclear weapon states, and then everyone else is supposed to be non-nuclear. The Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons opened for signature at the United Nations in New York on 20th September 2017 and entered into force on 22nd January in 2021. There are currently 92 signatories and 68 states parties. However, Iran has not yet signed or ratified the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. So India and Pakistan never joined that treaty and both have developed nuclear weapons. Israel never joined that treaty and developed nuclear weapons. North Korea is the only country to have withdrawn from the treaty. So it withdrew in 2003. I think folks are more concerned right now because we are hearing nuclear threats from Russia, from Putin and others in his government saying that, you know, they will defend their nation with nuclear weapons if they have to. You know, there there are those that are concerned if, well, if Iran gets nuclear weapons, then maybe Saudi Arabia will get nuclear weapons. And then what about Turkey? What about Egypt? According to the latest findings from the United Nations nuclear watchdog, Iran, although doesn't own yet weapons, could use uranium to produce more nuclear weapons. 
More specifically, Iran has been producing uranium and reached up to 60% purity, a level for which non-proliferation experts already say Tehran has no civilian use. Uranium at nearly 84% is almost at weapons-grade levels of 90%, meaning any stockpile of that material could be used quickly to produce atomic bombs even more disastrous than the ones dropped in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So what are the real threats humanity is facing with the existence of nuclear weapons? I would say as long as these weapons exist, there is some kind of threat, whether they are used intentionally or whether there's some sort of accident involving these weapons. We know, at least from the U.S. declassified record, that there have been many instances of accidents with nuclear weapons over the nuclear age, and I'm sure other nuclear armed states would have similar stories if those you know, documents were declassified and made available. There are approximately 12,700 nuclear weapons in the world right now, right? So it's a huge number. It's That's down from Cold War highs, but it's still a large number. And I, I think it's always important to point out that most of these weapons are much more powerful than the weapons dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan in 1945. So if, if you kind of have an image in your mind of the aftermath of what happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, you know, this could be so much worse given the megatonnage that, um, that advanced nuclear weapons have today. And so I think, I mean, there's a lot of people that argue as long as they exist, there is the threat. It's not that maybe there's more of a threat. I mean, there is a possibility, I suppose, if uh, Russia is losing this war, that it would consider using a nuclear weapon. But I think it's more that because of the war in Ukraine, because of this rhetoric that we're hearing, that people are just thinking more about nuclear weapons in a way that they haven't in a really long time. You know, these never went away with the end of the Cold War, but they did kind of leave public awareness. So it's unfortunate that they are in public awareness, but I actually think it's good for the public to realize that these are still around and what the destruction that they can do. And scientists are asking for more controls when it comes to nuclear weapons. Over the years, there have been treaties to achieve this. However, the past few years, a new trend of having fewer arms control agreements has been on the rise. Um, there's been a long history of, of controlling these weapons. Conor Murray is a research analyst at the Center for Arms Control and Non-Proliferation in Washington, D.C. The United States and Soviet Union realized that it was important to have uh, limits on nuclear weapons as early as the 1970s. And one aspect that is important here is limiting the number and types of nuclear weapons that com- countries can have. But maybe even more important is what are called verification measures. So these are things that allow various countries that are participants in treaties, and in this case, specifically the United States and Russia, to have insight into the other country's nuclear arsenals. We're sort of on a a trend of having fewer arms control agreements. I would go back to 2002 and the George W. Bush administration in power in the U.S. took the United States government out of the 1972 Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty, ABM Treaty. This was an agreement between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. And then, you know, once the Soviet Union dissolved, it became the U.S. and Russia. But it limited ballistic missile defense systems. So systems that would try to intercept a ballistic missile coming from the opposing country. And 
The U.S., since it left that treaty, has been on this quest to have ballistic missile defenses. And by trying to create defenses to these weapons, it puts pressures on others to develop more nuclear weapons and more novel systems that can overcome these defenses. And so I would argue that we're, we're living with the aftermath of the U.S. leaving that treaty, which is problematic. Um, the U.S. and Russia also left a 1987 treaty called the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. And that was an unprecedented treaty in that it led Russia and the U.S. to permanently eliminate all nuclear and conventional ground-launched ballistic and cruise missiles with a range of 500 to 5,500 kilometers. So that's where the treaty gets the name, the Intermediate Range. But that was seen as a, as a huge success um, towards the end of the Cold War. So it was negotiated again with the Soviet Union, but Russia took on um, the treaty commitments afterwards. Then sometime during the Obama administration, um, the administration accused Russia of cheating by testing and maybe even deploying these banned weapons. Um, then the Russians made counterclaims. And in the end, in August of 2019, President Trump pulled the, U out, the U.S. out of this treaty. Putin pulled out of this treaty, right? So that's another lost arms control agreement. You're listening to Euroactive's Beyond the Byline podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on euroactive.com slash newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge in other fields, you can listen to our tech podcast, agri-food podcast, and health podcast. And if you have any comments or ideas, you can drop a line at podcast at euroactive.com. And Professor Gibson, why is it so important to control uh, properly nuclear weapons? These are the destructive weapons. They are the most destructive weapons ever invented. A handful of powerful weapons could destroy whole cities and quickly, right? I mean, it happens um, in, in, in a split second. And so it's important to control them both in terms of lowering the numbers among the states that already have them, those nine states I already mentioned, and also controlling them by encouraging other states that don't have them now not to build them in the future. There's inspections and safeguards and other agreements that go along that help make that treaty successful. Uh, but it is important that more states don't get them. Folks have always been worried about some sort of cascade, you know, that you get one nuclear weapon state in a, in a region and more will, will do that. So that's a problem. And I, I would argue just the more nuclear weapon states we have too, that also increases the chances of, of accidents and use. Um, but I do want to point out there's a little bit of good news here in that many countries in the world are members of a nuclear weapon-free zone. So these are treaties in regions um, the regional treaties that prohibit nuclear weapons in that particular region. So the first one to come about was in Latin America. So all of Latin America is a nuclear weapon-free zone. And so many states, particularly states in the, um, in the Southern Hemisphere, are part of those. And there's other treaties that have allowed countries to reject nuclear weapons. So I don't think we're at a risk that a lot of countries want nuclear weapons, even if Iran were to fully develop, develop a nuclear weapons capability, but it is such a danger that, that we want to be kind of very uh, vigilant about that. As concerns about nuclear proliferation continue to mount, many countries are actively seeking to increase their stockpiles of nuclear weapons, making the nuclear landscape very complicated. 
unfortunately, the the nuclear landscape has become extremely complicated. Um, I think that specifically when we talk about bilateral arms control between the United States and Russia, the war in Ukraine is is a big, big complicating factor. We have seen increased hostile rhetoric uh, from the Russian side regarding potential use of nuclear weapons, which is very concerning, but also an, uh, an unwillingness by the Russian government and President Putin to separate arms control from, from the war and from the bilateral relationship more broadly with the United States. And that's something that has not been the case in the past. As I mentioned previously, the United States and the Soviet Union during the Cold War were able to sign multiple arms control treaties with each other to limit their arsenals and to make sure that you know, the world more broadly was a safer place and not at risk from the potential use of these, uh, of these weapons. But, you know, you've seen that President Putin is not willing to treat uh, arms control as this separate thing anymore. Another very concerning development is Russia's decision to suspend its participation in the New START nuclear arms treaty. But what does this mean in practice? That is a treaty that limits the U.S. and Russia to 1,550 deployed strategic weapons per side. It also allows for inspections um, and data, data, data exchanges. So it helps us kind of have more transparency into the other side. And Putin said they were suspending that. The New START treaty specifically, the only remaining bilateral arms control treaty between the United States and Russia, this means that there are on-site visits uh, in, incorporated or part of the treaty that allow Russian and U.S. experts to travel to each other's countries to look at the weapons and make sure that the other country is um, following the treaty, as well as information exchanges about the stockpiles of each of the countries. And then last, there are built-in conversations under something that's called the Bilateral Consultative Commission, where the two countries can get together and talk about how the treaty is being implemented and whether it's it's still being followed uh, the way it should be. I think it just, it underscores the distrust and the conflict on both sides. But if it, if it really is, if it really indicates a future without arms control, without arms con- strategic nuclear arms control, then I think that's where it really becomes dangerous, right? So neither side would then be limited to how many nuclear weapons it could have. It would lead to an arms race. We already have tension between these countries. And then you have China, who's you know, more supportive of Russia and the U.S. is worried about. And it's just like there's just a lot more opportunity, I think, for crises to turn into kind of to escalate into greater conflicts and increases the chance of potential war and then nuclear use. Scientists are also worrying about the use of AI regarding nuclear weapons. So what role might AI play in the use of nuclear weapons and the overall nuclear threat? The nexus of artificial intelligence and nuclear weapons is very, very concerning to people. I think we still haven't fully thought through this. And it fits with a pattern of, you know, we sometimes or oftentimes invent technology before we kind of politically or normatively have a way of, of addressing its, its complications and challenges. There are ways that AI is already incorporated into the whole nuclear enterprise. So things like intelligence collection or processing massive amounts of information. But I think most people are concerned 
when you think about having a nuclear weapon that didn't have a human making the decisions about its use, but was relying on artificial intelligence. I don't think that nuclear weapon states will go in that direction. Um, it seems extremely dangerous. I certainly don't think the U.S. will go in that direction. But we know from AI that there are the biases that we have in society are then replicated as biases in these systems. There's potential um, for kind of false assessments by AI systems. So I think this is just an area that needs to be studied so much more and that the world and particularly nuclear weapon states have to be extremely cautious and not over trusting that there won't be mistakes just because it's you know supposed to be smart technology. So it's certainly something I am concerned about. I, I think it's important to continue to advance dialogue and and verification in the nuclear space. And I think who knows what other technological uh, aspects could be included in that. Um, but I would say talking to each other is really important. And it's also really important in times when, when maybe it's difficult to do so. And I, I hope that uh, the participants in, in this specific case, so the United States and Russia are able to get back to a place where they're, they're talking to each other so that we can make sure that everyone is, is safe from the potential use of, of nuclear weapons, which of course, again, we hope never happens. Thank you very much. I am Evie Kiori, and this was Euractiv's Spin the Byline podcast. This is Euractiv for the latest news, and if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcasting app. This episode was produced by myself, and I would like to thank our executive producer, Malte Gettelson. Thank you for listening, and until next week. Euractiv.